1: And it's almost like the old uh, showbiz theory where if there's 10 people or a 1,000 or a million, you always give it your best shot regardless. And that's part of the attitude that I'm going to carry into this season.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Bielman. We have a change of pace this week. We are going to talk about baseball with someone I admire great, Pat Hughes, the play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Cubs, uh, the team that I root for. I am a diehard Cubs fan, Pat Hughes. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Fran, I'm happy to be here. Every time I hear 25 years with the Cubs, I immediately think back to when I first got here. My daughters at that point – were 3 years old and in first grade and now my youngest daughter is 28 and my oldest daughter will be 31 in July so it's gone it's gone very very quickly i cannot even believe this is 25 years here in chicago
0: I have to tell you that I am a diehard Cubs fan, and uh, I think it was eight years ago, we got a dog, a golden retriever, and I named her Theo, and I told my husband that the Cubs were going to win the World Series within five years of Theo Epstein's arrival in Chicago, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So that's how much of a Cub fan that I am. Um, well, what I, does it in- I- Go ahead,
1: I was going to say, and how's your dog doing? Is is uh, the dog still hanging in there too?
0: Yes, but she's very, very much middle-aged and has a bit of arthritis right now. So that's how long it's been. and She's eight now. Um, I'm trying to figure out what an announcer does during a pandemic to keep his skills as sharp as yours are and need to be to do your job as well as you do it.
1: Well, I do uh, a lot of reading. I stay up on what's going on in baseball. I do various interviews, podcasts like the one I'm doing right now. I do things called Cameo. It's a new business whereby you are basically hired by the general public and you perform for a couple of minutes to you know two to four minutes on a Cameo. And I've been doing quite a few of those. Um, I talk to other broadcasters and uh, keep up on what other teams are doing, what other broadcast plans they have for the season. Um, Are they going to travel? What what, what will it be like doing uh, when the Cubs are on the road? We are going to still be broadcasting from Wrigley Field. So we are not going to be traveling to Cincinnati or St. Louis or Milwaukee. We will be sitting in the booth at Wrigley Field Broadcasting while the Cubs are playing in Cincinnati or in Pittsburgh and we'll be working on television monitors but we'll be in our regular radio booth at Wrigley so I'm just trying to imagine what it's gonna be like to uh, broadcast a game uh remotely in that manner and uh also I'm kind of wondering what it's gonna be like to broadcasting uh to be broadcasting a game without any fans in the stands that will be kind of a change, too. But having said that, uh, Fran, considering all of the struggles that so many people, millions across the globe, have gone through here these last few months, my little uh, issue with, with having to broadcast a game with no fans in the stands or to work a broadcast off a monitor, these are minor inconveniences for me compared to what many other people are going through.
0: Well, that's true. Uh, I kind of think, though, about Ronald Reagan when he used to broadcast games and the, this fake crowd noise. I mean, how is this all going to work for you guys, being in the booth at an empty stadium?
1: I would say that um, I did many minor league games many years ago. I, I remember one game. The uh, It was the San Jose Missions of the California League against the Lodi, and I don't even remember the last. With, they might have been the low die Dodgers, but it doesn't matter. I do remember there was a card table behind home plate, and that's where I broadcast from. There may have been one writer there, but there were no more than two media people in the park. And as I looked around, there were not more than 10 fans in the stands. It was a very cold early season uh, game in April. So, I mean, I've done games where there have been very few people involved. And it's almost like the old uh, showbiz theory where if there's 10 people or a thousand or a million, you always give it your best shot regardless. And that's part of the attitude that I'm going to carry into this season.
0: And I think your (laughs) broadcast is going to be all the more important for fans because you still bring that wonderful excitement and the wonderful rapport that you have with ron coomer and you also had uh with ron santo but you have that and you bring that enthusiasm and that camaraderie every single day and i think maybe people will want to turn down the the sound and the tv and and listen to you guys because you really have that
1: well thank you that's very kind of you to say but I, I love baseball. I love broadcasting. I love being able to make a living and a very good living by doing what I do. These last five or six years working with Ron Coomer have been wonderful. Uh, the last couple of years, our third man on the booth, Zach Zaidman, he's been tremendous. And the team has been so good and so exciting. So that has reinvigorated me and my passion for baseball announcing the pinnacle of course Fran was the world series championship of 2016 but even uh in the other years where they did not go all the way they've been strong contenders going to the playoffs four straight years just missing out last year uh so very few meaningless games on the entire schedule for the last several years and I love Ron Coomer he's uh He's so much fun. He's a great team player. He's very smart. He he was a Cub fan when he was a little kid. Uh, he's a big league, uh, former big league player. He was an all-star. He played for the Cubs, so he loves the Cubs. But I, I knew when he joined me that he was a good player and a good guy. But now that I work with him, I really appreciate how smart and how insightful about the game he is. And I think more importantly, how he can... Uh, Describe in layman's terms, easy to understand language, what players are thinking and what they are trying to accomplish while playing a very difficult game of Major League Baseball.
0: Why did an agreement take so very long to achieve? I mean, people have been longing for some kind of a diversion from sports all these months as we've stayed home. Why couldn't baseball deliver it sooner?
1: Well, you'd have to ask um, the people who were involved in the negotiations, really, Fran. I, I stay out of that. And I think when people are not involved in um, a debate, as it was, I think it's easy to be impartial when you're on the sidelines and say, come on, guys, you know, let's let's get this thing together. But when you are right in the middle of it uh, and you feel very passionately about your position and your argument, uh, it's a whole different feeling. Um, so, I mean, I, I respect the fact that, uh, you know, you've got the, the players union, which is the most powerful union in the history of the world. Uh, and, and it really is. Uh, the, the average salary is over $4 million for major league ballplayers. On the other side, you have the owners, many of whom are billionaires with a B, not with an M. So, I mean, it's, uh, it was a, a complicated battle. But it was their battle, it was not mine, and I, uh, whenever one of those is going on, and I've been through quite a few of them in my long career, I just kind of watch and wait, and uh, whenever it's done, I'll be ready to go back to work. And uh, that's, that's the way I felt uh, all the other times, and that's the way I felt recently.
0: So it's a 60-game season imposed by the owners. How are the Cubs positioned for 60-game sprint?
1: Good question, because uh, no team has ever had a 60 game full season before. So I think part of the answer to that question will be answered as the season unfolds. I do think that there's a greater urgency to win each and every game. There always is in baseball, even when you play 162. I think many fans uh, and people who are not Directly involved in the game as I am, I think they'd be very surprised to find out how much work and how much intensity and preparation goes into each and every one of those 162. I think that will still be the case with only 60, although I feel like it'll be even more intense and each game will take on greater significance than it normally does. But uh, it'll be fun, it'll be exciting. It's almost like um, each team will start the season having already played 102 games, and miraculously, they are all tied with the exact same record, <laughs> and we have 60 games to go, and let's bring on the pennant race.
0: Now, the Cubs are going to go with a five-man rotation. Of a, uh, is that a strong way to do it, I think some teams may go with six or seven pitchers, right? Because the pitchers may not be stretched out when they start.
1: That's a good question and a good point. And you're right. That remains to be seen. I think um, uh, the answer to that would be how much work have the pitchers been doing during this delay? Uh, You think about spring training. It was canceled right around March the 12th, I believe that's three and a half months ago. So how much work have all of the pitchers done uh, since then? Have they been stretching out their arm and have they been uh, throwing with a a catcher? With the pandemic going on, everything has changed. It's more difficult to get out. It's more difficult to find a place to work out. Um, So I, I think each pitcher probably handled it in a slightly different manner. I think some guys probably did a lot of work. Some guys not so much, and maybe some of the veterans just said, you know, let me know when it's time to get ready, and then I'll start cranking it up. I don't want to waste any pitches here in uh, May if we're not going to play until July. So uh, it'll be an interesting thing to watch, and I think the way managers handle the pitching staff will be one of the most fascinating things to watch. Uh, As you said, Fran, the pitchers might not be ready to work more than about three or four innings, at least at the beginning. And if that's the case, let's say they average three innings, that means your bullpen is needed for at least six innings. And if it goes extra innings more each game, so it'll be a case where um, you know you have to carry extra pitchers on your staff, and um, it, it'll it'll really be interesting to watch because generally in, in a regular season game with 162. If, if a starter goes three innings and he's ineffective and he gets removed, the bullpen has to take over. Now, not only does that affect your bullpen in that particular game, but it also throws it out of whack for the next game or two, because if you work more than one inning today, you're not going to be able to work tomorrow. And you can imagine if, if you need six innings from your bullpen today, there might be a couple of guys in there that work two innings. OK, they're not going to be able to pitch tomorrow. So uh, it complicates things. And um, this is basically going to be a, a series of short starts and bullpen scrambles by managers.
0: And how are the Cubs positioned for that? I mean, they have Alec Mills, who's a guy who can go long innings. But I mean, are they well positioned for that? Then you have a a, a Brandon Morrow. I guess he's not going to start. Is he going to start the uh the season with the Cubs and then you have Craig Kimbrell who was terrible last year. What, how, how are we positioned uh, bullpen wise?
1: Well, I think guys like, um, you know, Craig Kimbrell, he's got two more years on a very lucrative contract. So he'll get the first chance to close out games, but he did struggle. He'd be the first to tell you that he did not really get the job done as Cubs closer last year. Uh, he gave up way too many home runs. He gave up nine in just 20 innings of work. And in my experience, Fran, the two things, if you're going to be an effective closer in big league baseball, the two things you have to avoid always are giving up home runs and bases on balls. Uh, many times you have to protect a one run lead. You need three outs before you give up one run. And if you're going to be walking guys and worse, if you're going to be giving up home runs, you're not going to be getting a lot of saves. So Kimbrel's going to be the closer. But, you know, you got a lot of other guys out there, Alec Mills and Tyler Chatwood and, um, you know, uh, Rowan Wick, who came on so very strong last year. Kyle Ryan, the tall left-hander who did an excellent job. Uh, there are a lot of guys out there that are getting to get a chance. But I think, as you say, the bullpen is probably going to play a more prominent uh, role, an important role uh, this year than maybe it ever has in the past.
0: And the other rule changes, of course. The DH is now universal, and we're going to start extra innings with a man on second. Can you believe it? Is that something that a purist like yourself uh, finds abhorrent, or are you okay with it? What do you think?
1: Well, it's it's one of those things. I was telling somebody the other day, it's almost similar to the introduction of the wild card in the playoffs many, many years ago. When it first was – was brought up. People said, oh, no, you can't do that because that will uh, minimize the importance of the regular season and winning the division championship. And you can't let a lot of wild card teams in the postseason. Well, I, I did not jump up and down and make those statements. I took the approach. Well, it's the same way for everyone. Let's just see how it plays out And maybe it'll work out well. And history has told us now that the wild card has been a wonderful addition to the postseason format. Go back to just last fall, the Washington Nationals, who became the world champions, they were a wild card team. The Florida Marlins twice were a wild card team. The Los Angeles Angels of 2002, they were a wild card team, went on to win the World Series. So did the Cardinals back in, I believe, about 2011 or 2012. So many times the wildcard team uh, has uh, gotten hot at the right time and won the World Series. So it's, it's been a great thing. And it's also created much more interest in August and September for dozens of cities in various pennant races over the last 30 years. Now, getting back to this thing where you're going to start the extra innings with a runner at second base, Fran, it's going to be the same for both teams. So neither team is getting an advantage. Um, I'm not a big fan, to be honest with you, of 17 or 18 inning games. Uh, part of that has to do with my age. <laughs> I think uh, the, <laughs> fact that, the fact that I don't quite have as much energy at the age of 65 as I did when I was 45. Um, and anybody who's ever been a live performer, which is what we are as baseball announcers, Anyone who's ever been a live performer will tell you, after about the fifth hour, um, you're you're ready to kind of shut it down for the day and get ready for uh, rest and coming back tomorrow and doing another game. So, uh, in that regard, I think it might be kind of a fun thing to watch. But it'll again, it's uh,
0: will the DH be Schwarber for
1: sure? Well, I would say against certain pitchers, yes. Uh, but that's one of those things where Kyle is a left-handed batter. Uh, he can still play left field. He's not a bad fielder, despite what some people think. Uh, he may not be the best fielder in the league, but I think he's certainly in the adequate um, uh, category. But he'll he'll probably get his chance to DH uh, sometimes. But I think so will Victor Caratini. And uh, the guy who's not catching, the Cubs have Wilson Contreras and Victor Caratini as catchers. So you might let Wilson rest as a catcher one day, but keep him in the lineup as a DH. Uh, You've got Steven Souza Jr., who is going to be a DH probably, a guy named Ian Miller, who played for the Minnesota Twins a year ago. He would be a candidate. Um, I think David Ross, just in general, is going to be an excellent manager. I I think he was a smart player as a catcher. Catchers many times have to be in control of the overall defense. They can see where all of the guys are positioned. They work with the pitcher every single pitch in trying to get the batter out. So the catcher's head is always in the game. And I think that's probably the best background that a big league manager can have. The fact that your head is always in the game. So I think, I think you're going to find that David Ross is going to be an excellent manager.
0: Is his personality and his optimism well suited for this extraordinary situation where we're in a pandemic where we're going to have players tested and some are going to test positive let's face it that's a fact what about David Ross's personality lends itself well to this situation
1: well just the fact that he cares he's got great people skills he's a very smart man Uh, he wants to be prepared as possible uh, he's got a lot of common sense about him. Um, he's got a family of his own, so he understands the importance of staying safe and, and being careful with things like health and risks and and, and the like. So I think that um, he's going to be as, as good as any manager in, uh, across the board in dealing with with the various side components of this pandemic.
0: And the pressure is off a little because this is such a strange season anyway, with a thousand asterisks, whoever wins. Um, so maybe it's not that much pressure for him as a debut.
1: No, I think it'll be quite a bit of pressure, actually, Fran. I think the manager of the Chicago Cubs is not in any way, shape, or form an easy job. And I say that I've been here 25 years. I have seen guys come and go Big, tough, hard, you know, uh hard-hitting uh baseball players, guys like Don Baylor and Dusty Baker and Lou Piniella, just to name three. They all came in. They thought they were gonna be the lead the Cubs to the World Series, uh, but it took Joe Madden to finally get it done in 2016. It's a very difficult job. And I tell people, I tell other broadcasters, I told Len Casper and Bob Brenly and Jim DeShays and Ron Coomer and Zach Zabeman. And I've told many people, I've said, when you start here, you, you just have to know a couple of things with the Chicago Cubs. It is never easy to work here, but it is also never boring. <laughs> <That> <laughs> it's that just is not. Sure. There's so much, there is so much interest, so much media. Uh, The fans don't just love baseball. It's a way of life, I think, with a lot of people. It's almost like a religion. And, um, you know, they, they take it very, very seriously, maybe even to a point where some fans take it too seriously, if that's possible, to the point where if the team wins three in a row, the fans think, oh, we're going all the way to the World Series. But if they lose three in a row, it's, well, you might as well just forget about this season. You can't live that way. You can't. It's such a long year. Every team is going to have winning streaks and losing streaks. And um, I tell people the one way that I've been able to survive all these years in Chicago, I've kind of learned how to operate independently from the hysteria of Cubs baseball.
0: Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals is not going to play this year. He's concerned about his baby, his mom who has MS. Players are going to test positive. Others are going to opt out. What do you think about that? And how many will fall by the wayside as we go along here, do you think? And are you concerned about it?
1: I'm concerned about it. I think everyone is. Uh, another prominent player, Mike Leap, a right-handed pitcher, formerly of Cincinnati, now with Arizona. He has decided not to play this season. Um, Zimmerman, you mentioned, uh, Joe Ross, his uh, teammate on Washington. I was reading about Charlie Blackman, the center fielder for the Colorado Rockies. He tested positive. I think he is still planning on playing. But I I think you'll find out in the next few days when the the spring training camps open officially, uh, there will be some absentees, and um, it would not surprise me. I, I'm thinking, Fran, if you can imagine a guy like a, uh, well, Mike Leake would be a good example. Here's a guy who I think signed a five-year deal for $80 million. He's about three to four years into that deal. So he's got, and, and this is just a ballpark figure, he's got at least $30 million in the bank. Okay. He probably has a family. I don't know this for sure. But what if you're what if you got 30 million dollars in the bank and you're 31 years old and you got two kids and a wife um, do you need to risk your life literally risk your life to uh, you know travel around during this pandemic when you know thousands of people each day are are testing positive for the coronavirus and it's killed what 125,000 Americans and over a million people globally? So, um, it wouldn't surprise me if guys who are financially set, uh, who are deep into their careers, um, if, if some more aside from the ones we've already mentioned, it would not surprise me if they opt out, not at all. How about you? Do you think
0: any of the Cubs will do this? I mean, we've got two cancer survivors and John Lester and, and Anthony Rizzo. Do you think anybody on the Cubs will opt out?
1: So far, nobody has, um, I think Anthony has, uh, said he's definitely going to play. I saw some video of Anthony Rizzo, uh, about a week ago. He looks great. He has been working out. He's uh, lost about 15 pounds. He is lean and mean, but still strong. He still weighs about 230, but it's all muscle and he looked quick. I saw him running. So I think Anthony is ready to play. Um, And I I don't know about John Lester. I assume that he wants to pitch also because he's entering the final year of his contract, but um, no, we'll just have to wait and see on, on a lot of these guys.
0: Is this the last hurrah for Rizzo and Brian Rizzo? I saw Brian the other day saying that he would love to play with Anthony Rizzo forever and retire with him. Uh, Do you think that's (laughs) going to be possible or is this the end of that?
1: I I think you'd have to ask uh, Chris Bryant and Anthony Russo that question and their agents and uh, their families um, because they are great friends and they're both great kids. I I love watching both of them play. They're wonderful players. Uh, They're they're the kinds of guys that you build teams around. And and, you know, that's been part of the, the pleasant aspect of these last five years, not just Chris and Anthony, Javier Baez is a great kid. Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, uh Kyle Hendricks. They, these are great, great kids with wonderful attitudes, team attitudes. And um that's been another really enjoyable aspect for me to be involved with this particular group. But uh you're right, you you know, in in a sense, um Uh, all things in baseball and and the the average career for a major league baseball player, I just read is 5.6 years. So you start thinking about a team that's been together this long, you know, four or five, six years, you know, it's not going to go on much longer. Uh, There are business aspects. There are guys that become free agents and it is a business. And even though a guy says, well, I would, I would love to stay here. I've heard that many times. But then he becomes a free agent and his agent starts, uh, you know, giving him advice. And then the guy leaves. I mean, I've seen that many times. So I'm not saying Chris is going to do that. I don't know about Anthony. I, I, I don't know what their plans are. Personally, I would love to see both of them stay with the Cubs uh, for their entire careers.
0: The racial reckoning that we've seen since the death of George Floyd. Do you expect players to kneel for the national anthem?
1: I'm not sure. I am not sure. That's a good question. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Oh, and I was impressed with Theo Epstein's personal reckoning on this. He's talking about how he needs to do better as a baseball executive.
1: Right. I, I read a lot of those comments, and uh, I thought they were they were poignant and, as always, very intelligent.
0: Crane Kenny, the business uh President of the Cubs, says that he would like to see 8,000 fans eventually sometime this season be in the seats at Wrigley. Can that work, and how will it work? How do you get people in and out safely?
1: Well, these are, these are questions that are way above my knowledge, Fran. <laughs> I, I don't know. You would have to talk to security and, um, uh, you know, the, the stadium. I, the social distancing, is it still six feet? So what would that yeah. be? Would that be two chairs, every probably other two seat chairs or every away? Third.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know. That that would be for somebody else to decide. But I, I think at the at the start we should kind of get used to very few people being in the stands. Now at Wrigley, with the unique aspect of having the rooftops across Waveland and Sheffield Avenues, the, you know they might be up there in the in the rooftops. Those are not going to be closed down, from what I understand.
0: Yeah, at least we'll hear them. And the Marquee Network will make its debut, the Cubs Network. How is yes, your how job about that? Yeah, how is your job going to change because of that?
1: Because of the TV?
0: Yeah, oh, oh so you're not, uh, that's right, you're not involved with that. So you're not going to be anywhere impacted by that at all? You're not involved No, I do. That. Yeah, you're radio. I do Cubs com- so, com- Radio com- is- on
1: six. 6.70 the score, AM 670.
0: Right, okay. So, so Marquis won't have impact you at all, but do you think they'll be on Comcast or maybe radio will be where it's at for, uh, for those of us on Comcast?
1: I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, What, they what don't was have that again?
0: Comcast yet. They don't have a deal. Marquis doesn't have a deal with Comcast to carry the games yet, or at least that I know of.
1: Right. Right. Um, we're going to do our regular job, Fran. That's all I know. Yes. I know that Ron Coomer and I and our radio network, we're going to do the best we can. We're not going to change anything. We're going to be prepared. We're going to have fun. We're going to give you the details and and the weather like we always do and uniform descriptions. and um, We're going to bring up baseball history, and we're going to tease each other, and we're going to have fun with the language and do all the things that we've always done.
0: Amy Sosa is trying to make a some kind of a reconciliation he hasn't apologized yet do you see that ever happening with the Cubs um
1: I I I think it might yeah I think it might I always got along fine with Sammy um I think the Cubs would would be happy to have him back at some point but uh, again that's between them that's between Sammy and the Chicago Cubs
0: well it was a it was a great disappointment to me personally that you didn't make the hall of fame and and now ken harrelson did and now it's been postponed i expect you might be joining him next year and maybe they'll have a double ceremony with the both of you what do you think
1: well that's that's something that i feel awkward even talking about i'm i'm very flattered and very proud that i've been a finalist for the ford Seafrick award twice now and um You know you always hope to get it but uh it's one of those things where when you don't get it uh you can't really say you feel like a loser because just to be nominated to be one of the eight finalists in such a a wonderful honor is a great thrill and i'm not bitter about it i'm i'm gonna just keep on keeping on and and if they invite me in fine but if they don't i will not consider my career any kind of a failure whatsoever i've been very lucky. I've had fun. Um, again, this is my 38th consecutive year of covering Major League Baseball, which almost sounds like I'm talking about somebody else when I say that. So, um, you know, I, I love it. It's It's fun. If I get in, great. If I don't, life goes on.
0: Well, I know you will. And Pat, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to advance this extraordinary baseball season that we're about to see. Best of luck. Please stay safe. And we'll see you all next week.
1: You're welcome, Fran. And the same right back to you.